Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, our Lord Jesus has ascended to You. And He now intercedes for us this day. Fulfill His intercessions for us that we might be renewed. Hear our prayers on behalf of Him, not on behalf of ourselves. But receive us for His sake. Receive our words through Him. And ever change us that we would know Him. And in knowing Him, know You, Father. Enlighten our hearts and our minds. Open our eyes and our ears this day. That all that You are doing would be known to us and be known in us. This we do ask through that very same Lord Jesus Christ who ever intercedes before You for us. Amen. We've heard a most glorious prayer this morning from our Lord Jesus. Only a piece of that prayer. This prayer that is called the High Priestly Prayer. A prayer that directs our eyes to what Jesus desires most. He desires to return to the Father's presence, not to escape from us, but that He might be more fully in us. That He might more fully come to us. That's what's so strange about the ascension. Is it's not Jesus escaping from this earth, but is Jesus entering into the throne room of God, entering into the holy of holies in heaven to present before the Father the sacrifice that He has accomplished, to bear the marks of redemption in His physical body before the Father. And in doing that, He becomes present to us throughout all of time and space. That we have access to Him. No matter where we are, He is near to us and He is with us. He comes to be with us by ascending into heaven. And He unites Himself to us more deeply because He carries humanity with Him. When Jesus took on flesh, He took on a true human nature and in taking on a human nature, He unites Himself to humanity and becomes our representative. He becomes our substitute when He goes to the cross. When He dies for the sins of the world and He is resurrected, He has accomplished salvation. And then He ascends into heaven in order to bring us to the Father, to present us to the Father in Himself, purified and made holy, made new in Him. And then as we heard in our collect of the day just a little while ago, don't leave us comfortless, but send your Holy Spirit, for that is His promise. That when He leaves, He will send the Comforter. He will send the Helper, the Paraclete, the One who will draw us up into Himself. The One who will apply His work upon us individually. And we celebrate that next Sunday. We celebrate that pouring out of the Spirit at Pentecost upon His disciples, upon His apostles, that they would make Him known. But here this day we 
hear these words from Jesus in this high priestly prayer. And we come to hear of His desire to be with the Father so that He will know us, so that we will know Him, so that He will be closer to us than He has ever been. And in drawing near to us by ascending to the Father, we come to hear what He desires for us. That Jesus desires for us to know the life that He has with the Father. The Father has granted life to the Son, and the Son gives it to whom He desires. Eternal life, Jesus said in verse 3, is to know the true God and His Son. To know the Father and the Son. And when we know this kind of life, we are truly made one with the Father and not just with the Father and the Son, but with one another. And we will know the fullness of that oneness with the Son and with each other when Jesus returns. When He returns in the way in which He left, coming on the clouds that hid His presence from the disciples on the day of His ascension. And so here on this night before He was betrayed, as He was about to be betrayed, Jesus prayed this prayer. And in verse 1 He said, Father, the hour has come. Many times here in the Gospel of St. John, Jesus says, My hour is not yet. It is not my hour. The hour is not at hand. But here on this night, He says the hour has come. The hour has come for the Son to be lifted up. The hour has come for Him to accomplish salvation, for Him to accomplish redemption, for Him to bear the sins of the world. For Him to bear our sin upon Himself. To take it to Himself. And receive the wrath and the condemnation that comes with that sin. For us, He does this. The hour has come. And so He says, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given Him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. The Son is incarnate in order to have authority over all flesh. To be that Messiah. To be the center of God's authority on earth. And in having that authority over all flesh, He can give eternal life to all those whom are given to Him from the Father. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. And how does the Son receive glory in this moment? By making known eternal life to His people. By preparing to go to the cross to purchase that eternal life, to become the way of that eternal life flowing out to the world for all that would receive it by faith. Eternal life, he says, is knowing the Father and knowing Jesus Christ whom He sent into the world. This isn't mere intellectual knowledge of the fact that the Father and the Son are one God with the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. It's not knowing that God created all things. It's not knowing that Jesus is the incarnate Son. All those are part of it, yes, but it's not mere intellectual assent that Jesus says that they know You, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom You have sent. There is an intellectual aspect. There are certain things we know to be true. We know that He brings forgiveness to us through His death and resurrection. We know that He is one with the Father, that He is truly God. There are truths of our faith that we do grasp with our intellect. Yes, but here when Jesus says that they may know you, that they know you is eternal life, He's 
using it in that deep way that Scripture uses it. So much deeper than intellectual, but down into the very heart and core of our being. We hear this knowing language throughout the Bible. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she bore a son. Abraham knew Sarah and she bore Isaac. So often that word knowing is about the most intimate of relationships. It's about going into having a deep personal understanding and connection to another. One commentator put it that it is an an affectionate knowledge. It is a loving knowledge. It's a deep, intimate understanding of the other person and the person understanding you in that same very deep and intimate way. It's a two-way understanding between two people having a depth of understanding of one another that is beyond the mere outward facts and realities. But it's understanding the inward dispositions, the inward drives, the inwardness of each other. This kind of knowing is the deepest of friendships that we can have with one another. When C.S. Lewis described affectionate friendship, he spoke of it as the ability to sit by a warm fire silently with someone. And yet in that sitting, knowing exactly what that other person was thinking about because you share such intimate knowledge of one another, you share such insight with one another. That you can just simply sit and know what the other is thinking. You know the inner workings of this person because you've spent hours upon hours upon hours listening and interacting and caring and bringing this person into your life and sharing your life with that other. Eternal life is knowing God in that way, it's having that intimate knowledge of the Father and the Son. It's not a knowledge of mere formality, nor does it come from mere informality. It's a knowledge that comes from walking alongside one another for a lifetime. It's a knowledge that penetrates to the core of someone's being. And so in eternal life being, knowing the only true God is coming to know the core of who God the Father is. And we know who God the Father is by knowing the Son. And we know the Son because we have heard of the work He has done. He has come to us. He comes to us through His Word, through His sacraments to make Himself known. It means that we have immersed ourselves in His Scripture that He gave to us. And when we immerse ourselves in the Scripture, we will come to know and be confronted with what is in ourselves. And yet, Knowing what is in ourselves, we see that the Father has chosen to bring us healing from ourselves. When we know the Father, we know that He brings healing to us. That kind of healing that leads us to abandon what we are in ourselves. That we are to abandon what we are in ourselves to receive more and more of that life that He bestows upon us and into us through the Son. These words of Scripture are planted deep into us that they would bear fruit toward salvation. And we receive that fruit by trust and faith in the Son who took upon Himself our very sin. He took that sin that drove us from the Father, that drove us away from Him. He took that written letter against us to the cross and nailed it to the cross, bearing the shame of it for us. 
And the fruit of that faith and that trust becomes born in us when we turn from that sin that He died for. Knowing that He has forgiven us. Knowing that the Father forgives us. And in that we begin to more and more abandon all the sin and the lust and the idolatry and the selfishness that is so ingrained within. When we know the Father and the Son, we begin to turn away more and more from that sin within. We come to know that eternal life as the promises of God in baptism are worked out in us. We come to know the Father and the Son because they have come to us and given us promises. They have worked them into us in baptism and now we live those promises out through faith, through trust in the Son. If there's ever a question of does that eternal life belong to me? Is that something I have received? Is that something I can be given from the Father? We can answer with an affirmative when we have been baptized. That moment of baptism is the marking of the Holy Spirit to bring us to the Father through the Son. We're set apart for eternal life to be received. We are set apart to know the Son. We are set apart to know the Father by that water that is poured upon us. By that water that is set apart in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. From that baptism, we are united to Christ. And thus, we are intended to receive the life of Christ within. We are intended to receive deep within ourselves all of that life of Christ. Because in baptism, we are baptized into the death of Christ. And if we're united to Him in death, then most assuredly, Paul says, we will be united with Him in the resurrection like His. That just as He was raised, we too will be raised into new life. And we are called to live out that baptism by knowing the Father and the Son, by receiving what they have done for us, to receive the work of Christ. To not receive the work of Christ is to reject that baptism, to reject that eternal life that is being poured upon you. The Father is at work through the Son for us through baptism. And He speaks those words to us over and over as we gather to worship, as we gather to know Him. He is making us to know Him when we gather and worship by claiming us in our baptisms, by causing us to remember our baptisms each and every day. As we realize that He is making us to know Him, it's so much easier to turn from that which keeps us from Him. We know that He wants us to know eternal life. He wants us to be changed. He wants us to be renewed. And we know that He has dealt with our sin in Jesus. This Jesus who desires us to know the Father. This Jesus who willingly took upon Himself the sins of the world to accomplish the will of the Father. That He has accomplished all things, Jesus says later. And he says in verse 4, I glorified you on earth having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Jesus directs us Himself and to the Father. And so all who are baptized are called to seek the Father and the Son, not themselves. We'll miss out on knowing the Father and the Son if we don't seek after them. If we don't receive the work that they have done through us. The Father makes a way for us to know this eternal life, to know Him, 
and the Son by taking our sin away. And all this connects to the ascension in a beautiful, mysterious way. In verse 5, Jesus says, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. The beautiful workings of the triune God that Jesus, the eternal Son, knew the glory of the Father before anything existed. And yet in the mystery of His incarnation, He has set that glory aside and so He prays, make me to know that glory once more. He's pointing to His ascension in that moment that when He ascends into heaven, He is returning to that glory and He is carrying His human nature with Him so that His human nature itself can now participate in the glory of God forever. And as Jesus' human nature participates in that glory, He is carrying us up with Him. He is carrying His people with Him that we would know that glory through Him. So often in the Gospel of John, Jesus speaks of His glory being linked with that crucifixion. His being lifted up. That He'll enter into His glory in that moment because He is accomplishing the fullness of God's will for Him. But that crucifixion means resurrection for Jesus. It's not just that He will die for our sins, but He knows that He too will be raised for our redemption. That when those sins are dealt with, when death is destroyed through His own death, He will return to life because the Father will accept that work of Jesus. And in being resurrected into that new kind of heavenly life, He is to ascend then into heaven. And so it all works together. That as He speaks of being glorified through the cross, He is speaking of receiving glory through His ascension and His human nature participating fully in that glory. We see the fullness of that glory as Jesus ascends into heaven to be at the Father's right hand because His human nature now participates. It is exalted to that place, to that throne. His divine nature that He has always known before His incarnation. More and more, John gives us that double sense as Jesus says, glorify me. He was pointing to His crucifixion and His ascension. One side is physical death and one side is physical lifting. Suffering the wrath of God for the sin of the world and the other, His exaltation to the right hand of God. That is where His glory is caught up. Revealing the trueness of His Messiahship. And in praying for His glory to be known once more, for Him to know that glory that He has always known from the Father. I love how He speaks of how He has glorified the Father on earth. That He has manifested the Father's name to the people that He had been given to His disciples. He had made known to them the Word of God. And then look at and hear how He speaks of His disciples. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. It's a glorious group of words there as he praises the disciples' faith. And yet, what feeble men they are that just after he prays his prayer, he is betrayed. And they all scatter. In this high priestly prayer, He looks at His disciples and He lifts them up to the Father saying that they know everything that I have is from the Father. 
I've given them their words and they have received them. And yet they abandon Jesus. They know in truth that Jesus has come from the Father and yet they abandon Him. They have believed that You sent Me and yet they abandoned Him when He was arrested. Jesus speaks of the work the Father is doing in them as though it is absolutely completely done. That Word has been planted in them and it is bearing fruit and it is growing in them. The Father is truly at work in those disciples and so Jesus speaks of that work. That even in the dimmest of works done in them, it is a beautiful and glorious work of them receiving that truth that they will stumble and fall over and over. Nonetheless, the Father brings them back to Himself. The Father brings life to all who receive Him. To all those who will cling to His words and His promises by faith. By trusting that He's really going to fulfill those promises. The disciples will falter that night. Jesus knows that and they will falter later on, but He knows His Father's Word. He knows the power of that Word. He knows the power of the work He is about to accomplish. Because He speaks as though He has already accomplished it. Though He has not yet gone to the cross, He says, I've accomplished all You gave Me to do. Jesus speaks of the accomplished work He will do on the cross though He has not yet done it, because it is a sure thing to be done, for He is moving there. He is accomplishing the Father's will. And so He speaks of the disciples' weak faith as though it is this glorious, strong, amazing faith. And that gives me comfort that He can look at those disciples who are going to be feeble that night, who will stumble and fall away that night, and He still speaks of them so tenderly. He speaks of them as those who know Him so deeply and so intimately that they have believed that the Son was sent by the Father. Even though they will falter, Jesus still speaks of them so beautifully in this present moment, knowing the future that is going to be brought upon them, knowing the salvation that will come to them. And all of that comes together in these closing words, that all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to You. Holy Father, keep them in Your name which You have given Me that they may be one, even as we are one. Jesus directs our eyes to the work He is going to accomplish in His disciples. He's going to make them one and He prays for the Father to unite them together in a shared faith, in a shared conviction, in a shared life. That is the goal of His work for His church to unite us to one another then our being united to one another, we will be more deeply united to Him who is our head. He prays that His disciples might be one, and in them being one, He prays for us to be one. That they would be kept near to one another in heart and mind. That just as He and the Father are one in the truest, absolute sense, He desires for us to know a taste of that oneness. And so He ascends into heaven that that might be accomplished, that that might occur in their lives and in our lives. That He ascends that He might become the one who unites us together in that way. And how does that all come together? In two ways it works out. That on one, as I mentioned, He united Himself to humanity by taking on human flesh. He unites Himself to us through His incarnation. 
He became man in order to be with us. He became truly man while remaining and being truly God. That was so He could deal with that which has broken our fellowship with that triune God. To deal with our sin. If Jesus did not unite Himself to humanity, if He had not become a man, then God could not die for our sins. The Son could not die in our place. He could not be our substitute. He could not deal with the sins of the world. And so God and man are truly united in Jesus Christ, in His humanity. And so we have a truly sympathetic high priest in the heavenly places who intercedes for us because He ascended to go there to intercede for us. He can sympathize for us in the truest sense by suffering for us so that we would not have to suffer for eternity under God's condemnation. And yet, and mysteriously in that true union of God and man as Jesus ascends, He carries His humanity with Him. He ascends into heaven carrying humanity with Him. His humanity which unites us to Him in heaven now. And so we are mysteriously and mystically with the Father in heaven through Jesus. And then the other half of that equation of how we become one is that He then, in carrying His humanity into heaven, He then sends His Holy Spirit into this world first known at Pentecost after His death and resurrection to make Himself known to reveal Himself to the world. To make Himself known to us who did not know His earthly ministry, who did not participate in His earthly ministry in any way. And with that Spirit, we become united together. That Spirit dwells within us to make us little temples, to make us little stones that become part of that true temple who is His body, who is Himself dwelling with us. And so we bear God to the world because the Spirit dwells within us because Jesus carried humanity into heaven, being both God and man. Because He is that place where heaven and earth meet. And so as a piece of earth enters into those heavenly realms, a piece of those heavenly realms, so to speak, the Holy Spirit comes to be with us, to make us temples here on earth, uniting us into the true temple who is Christ. And that comes back to our baptisms. For there we are united with this body of Christ, with the church. And being united to the church, we come to receive and partake of that new and eternal life of God in Christ through those ordinary waters that are so seemingly ordinary, but yet are blessed and made holy by the Father, by the Spirit Himself. And eternal life is poured upon those who are baptized. And they are called with that eternal life to now walk in faith, to trust the work of Christ. And so that makes us one with one another because we are all baptized, just as Paul said. One baptism. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all. But even more, that oneness is brought together also in the Lord's Supper itself. For there we partake of Christ's body and blood through the bread and wine. And we come to more fully know that union with Christ, but also that union with one another. For we all partake of the same bread. We all partake of that same body of Christ. We receive Christ through the supper and thus are united with one another just as we are united with one another in baptism. 
We embrace those places of grace, the sacraments and the Word, and we are made more and more one with Christ. And so, Jesus desires for us to know eternal life. And He makes that eternal life known through His sacraments, through His Word. And He pours that eternal life out through His ascension. Because in His ascension, He enters into the heavenly places that He might be present to us wherever we would be. And He makes Himself known to the baptized. He makes Himself known to those who receive the supper. He makes Himself known to those who read His Word. To all of those who draw near to Him. Through His means of grace, He will make Himself known. And so may we continually embrace that very faith, that trust which is given us, which was given to us, which enables us to know that eternal life, which is union with the Father and the Son, which is knowing the Father and the Son and with knowing each other. That we are made one with each other. And in being made one with each other, we are made one with Jesus. And through Jesus, His Father. To be one with Jesus and the Father is to receive what He has done for us. To receive what Jesus has accomplished for us is to believe that the Father sent Jesus into this world to actually deal with our sins and to turn us from those very sins. All of this is given to us. All of these promises, all of these graces are given through being united to Jesus through baptism in the Eucharist. His ascension brings Himself to us through these very acts of grace that He told us to hold to. In those places, Jesus meets us and makes us one with Himself and making us one with Him, we become one with one another. We'll become one with one another and we will know the eternal life that He has given to us as we look to Him and draw near to Him in these places of grace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.